بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم بيان سورة 46 سورة الأحقاف آية نمبر 19 أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم لكل درجات مما عملوا وليوفيهم أعمالهم وهم لا يظلمون الله سبحانه وتعالى is informing people that they are in ranks in this world and they are in ranks in the other world. So for each, there will be ranks for what they do. So actions have consequences here and in the Akhirah. In the Akhirah, the consequences will be final. And there will be then uh, organized according to the action. So some actions bring this amount of fadila and merit, and some actions bring more, and some actions really yeah, put you over the top. Whether you film amalahum and all of their actions will be given back to them. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will totally and fully compensate for whatever it is that they have done. There will be no injustice on that day. There is no dhulm. Wahum la yudhamun. See that uh, people need to look forward to something. There's always a sense of anticipating a reward or a benefit or perhaps even a natija, a consequence, a result. So Allah subhanahu wa says that uh, the most important result you must anticipate is uh, how far your actions will lead you into Jannah. That is what you must anticipate and think of. أذهبتم طيباتكم بحياتكم الدنيا واستمتعتم بها فاليوم تزون عذاب الهون بما كنتم تستكبرون في الأرض بغير الحق وبما كنتم تفسقون As for those who don't believe in Allah uh, and on that day yeah, the non-believers will be presented over the fire they'll be made to witness the fire they'll be made to experience the fire before they're you know thrown into it and they'll be intimidated by you know the fire being in their face basically so this is now the natija of kufr that the natija of kufr the consequence and the result of kufr is that you will eventually be punished then there will be a conversation that the angels will have. Angels will always have conversations with people all the time. 
uh, in uh, on the day of judgment. Sometimes Allah Himself will announce, and many times the angels will announce, and many times the angels will have a conversation with people, whether they're good or whether they're bad. The angels here will tell people that you have expended your good things in your worldly life. You have exhausted all the good things in your worldly life. You have not kept anything for this world. You haven't stored any of the pleasures for Jannah. You've exhausted all of that in the dunya. And all you did was enjoy the dunya, enjoy the dunya, enjoy the dunya. Yeah. So this uh, the state of kufr will make you do this. That there's no akhirah in your mind. Uh, there's nothing that you n- believe is there after you die, and then you want to enjoy life as much as you can here before you die, because you don't believe there's another life. So there, the angels will taunt them and say that you have now removed all the good things in the world. Whatever good was there, uh, they're done. Yeah, you have nothing left for this world. But Sabtatum Bihan, you thoroughly enjoyed them. Yeah. Yeah. So this is a warning to Muslims also that they must not now live such a luxurious lifestyle that they don't leave anything for Jannah. They have to leave a few things incomplete in this world so that you can benefit from the other world. Yeah. You don't go overboard into you know becoming a consumer of the dunya where there's nothing there except the dunya. Yeah. So there, there, there are pleasures that you may enjoy in a halal way and that should be with contentment and not with greed. So that's the message here for the Muslims. Today, you'll be rewarded with a punishment of insult and humiliation because you are arrogant on earth. So arrogance, the result of arrogance is humility and embarrassment. So whether it's here or in the other world, that is the natija, that's the result of being arrogant on this planet. Adab al hoon the adab of insult and embarrassment, disgrace, humiliation, all of that. So now you were too proud to admit that there is someone who is higher than you, someone who is better than you as a role model, and someone that you should, you should look forward to meeting on the day of judgment there is somebody there who is better than you and everything but you refuse to believe that you refuse to see that because you're just arrogant and said no there's nobody like me i'm the best and everything that might not be the words that people use but definitely the attitude people have when it comes to the deen and when it comes to religion when it comes to god when it comes to following another human being and also because of the fisk that you were part of, the sinning you were part of all the time, constantly in a state of sin and constantly just engrossed in pleasures of the world and continuously uh, dis, uh, you know, owning other people. Uh, 
and throwing disdain on other people, throwing scorn on other people. So all of these factors, unfortunately, will result in absolute total damnation, indignation, humiliation, embarrassment, and then punishment. On top of that, punishment of the fire. So we see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is warning those people. This is obviously at the end of the Prophet life in Mecca, where you know people are ready obviously to execute him, to assassinate him, they're ready to drive him out. And so these types of ayat when the Quraysh are listening to these ayat, they are most probably intimidated and they're frightened, which is the purpose. Yeah. وَذْكُرْ أَخَعَادْ إِذْ أَنْذَرَ قَوْمَهُ بِالْأَخْقَافِ وَقَدْ خَلَتِ النُّذُرُ مِنْ بَيْنِ يَدَيْهُ وَمِنْ خَلْبِهِ أَلَّا تَعْبَدُوا إِلَّا اللَّهُ إِنِّي أَخَافَ عَلَيْكُمْ وَإِنْ عَذَابَ يَوْمٍ عَظِيمٍ Here now Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala brings in another example for the Arabs basically of the time. This is the story of the people of... Um, Ad, yeah, the Ad people, the people of Hud, where they lived in the southern part of the desert and they had dwellings, they were builders. More than that, they were great engineers, they were great engineers. They had the ability to irrigate and farm and bring water in from very far places. Uh, into very distant places, remote places, and they had greenery and lush in the desert, and they had wells too. And so these are the people of Ahad uh, that now we must appreciate. There was an American guy who uh, read the story of Ahad in the Quran, and he went on a campaign to do research on the Ahad, and finally he, he got NASA to take pictures of the you know, the southern desert of Arabia. So lo and behold, they found valleys and they found wells and they found roads underneath the terrain. That's shown that people were living there. Right? It is documented, it's documented on some PBS thing, I think. But the, the people of Ad were very big people. Huge people, great farmers, wonderful irrigators, wonderful engineers, and they had a civilization which obviously existed because the the NASA photos show that. But we didn't need that for us, but it might be good for others to say, okay. So he was convinced that the art actually existed after reading the Quran. And he went out through with his own money found out that they, indeed they did exist in you know, a place called Iram. So anyway, this is now the story mentioned, the brother, Ad, that all prophets are brothers, and now Allah Taala is using this term to show the fraternity and the brotherhood of the prophets, mentioned his story, the time when he warned his people, Bil Akhaf, over the sand dunes, they, they lived in the sand, as I just said, in the desert. And many messengers and warners passed in front of them and after them, and their message was very simple. 
to worship no one except Allah and to hope for forgiveness from Allah and to hope for his Rahman and entering Jannah and so on. So this is a very simple message. The prophets always gave a very simple message. It was more of the macro message, not the micro. Once you accept Islam, then you can do the micro, ibadat, etc. But for non-Muslims, is the macro values and God and, uh, you know, divinity and theism, theology and all of that. And good behavior, basically, that there should be no injustice in the community, no exploitation, no monopoly, treat people well. That's right, the civilizational values that are common to all human beings. That was usually their message. So you see that, that the Quran gives us maybe one formula, Allah ta'abudu illallah, that you should worship no one except Allah. No. What does this mean? They go there and tell people worship God. That's it? No. Meaning that you have to explain that, that this is the macro message for all human beings, that if you want salvation, then believe in the Akhirah, believe in Allah and follow me, meaning the Prophet. That's how you'll get to Jannah. And so this is a very organized, very sophisticated message. It has to be dealt with in the proper way and not just kind of you browse through it, yeah, that's it, worship God, and that's it. No, it's the macro message of Allah and that you don't uh, exploit people. Because people, when they become organized and civilized and they have money, then they monopolize and they deprive people of natural resources, which is what the people of Ad did. It's mentioned in other places, not here. Other parts of the Quran will explain this. Allah is not unjust and he doesn't want human beings to be unjust. So in their campaign to be world leaders, or at least leaders in that surrounding area, which they were, uh, Allah didn't say that uh, you don't need these gardens and uh, lush living and culture. He didn't say that. That's all fine. That, in fact, the Quran said this is all ni'mah from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So having in a, a good town, a good city, this is good. This is Allah's fadl on you. Having gardens and having water, having spring and dates and uh, grapes and all of that good stuff. Which the Quran mentions in Surah Al-Shura. The Quran depicts this glorious picture of the Ad and the Thamud and the people of Madian that they were living in, in, in good times. Yeah? So the Quran does not deny human beings uh, the uh, freedom to live a good life. What the Quran denies basically is shirk, zulm, and disbelief in the Akhirah. That is what the Quran denies. Otherwise, you're good to go. And so you mustn't be. Uh, that, what do you call it, um, unruly, that you think that you should live in ghettos. No. Muslims don't believe in living in ghettos. We never did. You understand? <laughs> yeah, so be careful how you portray these ideas. So no Nabi came to any people and said, I want to be a ruler. No one. Said. Not even Musa. He never went to Firo and said, I want to be on the throne. You, say you have the government, you have this, and then you have all these uh, gifts and bounties of Allah. All we want you to do is worship Allah, make sure there's no dhulm, and belief in the akhirah. You can keep all this. There's no ni'mah from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So the idea of uh, not having good things in the dunya 
uh, is not there in Islam. The idea of indulging in the dunya in such a way that you don't even realize this life after you die, that is wrong. Indulging in luxuries to the point where you exploit other people to procure your luxuries, that is wrong. Engaging in the dunya in such a way that you monopolize natural resources and you deprive others their rights, that is wrong. You have to be very careful uh, that you don't pick, depict a kind of simplistic picture of a Muslim civilization. Muslim civilizations were the best for 1300 years. We had the best of everything. Okay. But we had Tawheed, we didn't have Zulm, and we all, mashallah, thought about the Akhirah. And so I said, it is good life. Having a good life is good as long as you do all these things with it and the purpose of life is to prepare for another life. So this statement, Allah ta'abudu illallah, is very simple. But what comes with it? Everything that I just said. The civilization values, the, the, the macro understanding of the universe, who is the creator, where are you going, why are you here, purpose of life, etc. Yeah. So when you read the Quran, you must pause and think, on every sentence, why is this sentence so short? And why is it so important that Allah is mentioning this sentence in the last book? Which is a divine wahi and revelation and so on. So you have to sit and think, don't just browse through it. If you're a student of knowledge, don't browse through it. Oh, I know what it means. No, you don't. There's so many tiers of knowledge that you need to get to before I understand. You don't understand because you don't want Muslims to have a good life. Okay. You want Muslims to have a not so good life so that they're shabby uh, and their masajid are shabby and their homes are shabby and you get a wise Muslims and you get a wise Islam too in the process. That's what you want. That this uh, Quran is not saying that. And the Muslims weren't like, yeah, the process is very simple. And so, but if you want to establish a global civilization, you better make sure you control. Yeah. <laughs> and you don't, don't become beggars. If your food is now, uh, what's the word? If your food is subsidized, your whole country's food is subsidized by some other country across the globe, you're not very Muslim. You're not supposed to be beggars. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. So economic power is power. Cultural power is power. You should understand that. Sophistication is good. We had the best masajid in the world, best calligraphy, best architecture, best food, best dress, best cavalry, best military, best everything. So there's nothing wrong with that. What's wrong is dhulm. Uh, what's wrong is preferring the uh, dunya or the akhlasus. So you do have to be careful. Don't, don't become so simplistic that you assume that the prophets came and all they said was worship Allah. No. Quran is much more prolific, much more dynamic than, than that. You understand the whole picture. So that these prophets came to these sophisticated cultures and they told people they were part of the community. Like Saleh was part of the community. They wanted Saleh to become their hero. 
But then when he had Nabuwa, he said, no, I'm not your hero. I'm here to reform you. So they never went, wanted power and glory, and they didn't want, what do you call it, the throne. All they want to do is to tell people, worship Allah, and you can keep all of this. Believe in Allah, believe in the Akhirah, make sure you're just, then you can keep all of this. Inni alaykum adab yawmin I fear for you the punishment of a huge, mighty day where the Ad were huge people. They were giants and they were powerful and mighty and strong, economically strong and culturally strong. So now when you have that kind of strength, you are invincible. So who that is that I'm saying you're not invincible? You may be giants, you may be superpowers, but you're not invincible. Allah is much bigger, much greater than you. And then the day of judgment is huge. You won't be able to handle yourselves on the day of judgment. There's always a dialogue. So you position yourself. Imagine you're there with Hudar Islam and what are you discussing? And what are some of the values you are presenting? Or what are you telling these people to do? And so on. So they have now this dialogue and the debate. So you must understand the dialogue. And understand the debate. They said, have you come to turn us away from worshipping our idols and gods? Meaning it is part of their culture, it is part of their organization, it is part of their power uh, that they worshipped false gods and these idols that they created themselves because they were great builders. And even an engineer, then you want to build and then you make monuments and you make buildings and you make statues, yeah, all of that, and then you build idols too. So that's part of the, you know, the manifestation of the engineering skill and the other skills of stone masonry and everything else. That this is an art. This is what, who we are, and this is how we have become to become who we are because we worship these idols. This is the idols that give us this power. So they're now engaging in this dialogue and condemning Hud for saying what he says. So bring whatever it is you've promised to us. We're ready to, for the challenge, the day of judgment, any punishment here in this world, any punishment after we die. We're ready for all that because we are now powerful. We are invincible. Uh, in Kundamil Sadiqif, indeed, you are from the truthful. And then show us what it is you think your creator and maker and your Lord can do. So they're very hasty and so on. The prophets, they don't bring down punishment from the heavens simply because people reject them. They have some prerogatives, as you know, but they don't use them. They go through the human mill of sabr and patience. So when you're confronted with a problem, uh, you don't invoke God and his wrath and his anger on people. You go through the human mill of patience and dialogue, conversation, convincing, persuading, argumentation, debate, whatever it takes. Okay, that is what Allah wants you to do. It's a test. So in the test, you have to pass the test. You can't just jump uh, and say, 
Now, because you reject me, I'm going to kill you. Then you're no better than the, you know, the bank robber. <laughs> if you don't give me the money, then I'll shoot you. Yeah, so you have to be patient. Patience now is a, a weapon, is a shield, is also a, a tool uh, for prophets that they use, employ in their mission, and they do it very effectively. And so, so they're not hasty, they're not judgmental. They don't say, no, you're damned. I'm the Nabi, I'm the prophet. When he comes to me, he doesn't come to you. You're ignorant, and I'm the only one there, and I'm going to know to destroy you. They don't do that. That's not the human way of dealing with problems. Okay? That's a very devilish way to deal with problems. Shaitan does that. That knowledge is indeed with Allah when that hour will come. When and if that punishment comes, I don't know. I don't know any more than you do. I'm waiting the way you are waiting and I'm now conveying to you whatever I have been sent with. So my instructions are very simple. Deliver the message. My instruction does not tell me to kill you or to destroy you. That is not in my portfolio. In my portfolio, I have one thing, that is convey the message. Deliver the message. Whatever it takes, deliver the message, whether they reject or they accept or they assassinate, or they drive you away, or whatever it is that they do. I have only one job. But I have observations, and I have concerns for you. I see that you are now an ignorant people, that you don't understand the truth, you don't listen to the truth, you don't want to see the truth, you don't appreciate the truth, and therefore you are ignorant, you are jahil. That's my, that's my observation. I, I can use this in my debate with you, I can tell you where I stand, where you stand, in my mind, in my observation. So that they held their own ground and they spoke to people uh, with extreme confidence. Ah, so that's another virtue of the prophets, that they were extremely confident of themselves, of their mission, of the message, in, uh, confident in Allah, confident in themselves being a Nabi and a Rasul, etc. But they never gave up hope and they carried on. And this is happening over time. This is happening over decades. The Qur'an's mentioned this, we read it in one minute, but it's over decades this is happening. The dialogue changes, you know, the, the method changes, and the format changes, and sometimes you contextualize, sometimes you don't contextualize, sometimes you plead with them, sometimes you use third language, Sometimes you use good language and language of Bashara and all of that, but they're not responding. Meaning that they don't see any of the skill sets that who that Islam has, therefore they're ignorant and they, they, they live in this uh, bubble of arrogance. So what happened was that who uh, Islam eventually did uh, do something because they were just being so manipulative and they weren't allowing others to accept the word either and they were stopping people from becoming a Muslim. So Hud al-Islam asked Allah to show them a sign, just a sign. Uh, so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, now sent a drought 
although they were able to bring water into the desert, but they had to bring water from the water source. And there was a drought. If there's a drought, there's no water source, there's no reservoir, there's nothing. So they were afflicted with a drought. Okay. And then all of a sudden, they turned to Hud and said that maybe if you bring us water, we'll believe in you. So after some negotiation, he said, okay, uh, you're not going to get water. Okay. You're going to get something else, unfortunately. The end of the road. So when they saw this cloud, the cloud on the horizon approaching, dark cloud, and obviously when a thirsty person sees a dark cloud, immediately he thinks it's water. Help has come. So that's what they thought. That the cloud was facing their valleys now, Mustaqbila Odiatim, coming towards their valley, approaching, welcoming their valley almost. They said, This is a cloud, give us rain. Knowing the signs of Allah and His punishment, warned them, This is not rain. The cloud here doesn't have rain. It's what you have been looking to expedite all the time. You've been asking me to bring signs, and this is the sign. You've been asking me to do something to show you and prove to you that Allah is there and punishment is real. This is a sign. Okay. So now the punishment comes in the form of their hope. Their hope was that clouds would come, and the clouds will bring rain. So Allah then punishes them uh, twice and thrice and uh, tenfold by bringing the punishment in the form of something they were hoping to see. So Allah fulfills their hope in one form and then changes their hope. This is a wind in which there is a very tormenting punishment. So because they had uh, superpowers and great builders and great engineers and uh, stonemasons and they built buildings in the mountains and all of that and great dwellings, etc., columns they built, hmm? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, brought to them a severe tornado. Rihun fi hadhaba, severe tornado, very ferocious wind. Yeah. What was that wind doing? To them, miracle rabbiha. It just uh, decimated everything in its path. Everything was bulldozed and destroyed totally. As um, the Quran says in another surah, that these tall, huge people were like now hollow palm trees that were uprooted from the ground. The devastation that this tornado brought was uh, unparalleled. Yeah. So this whole community, whole civilization was destroyed because they refused to believe that Allah is one. And they refused to believe that they should worship Allah. La illa masakinum. So only their dwellings could be now seen, meaning the remnants and the relics of their dwellings. 
This is how we punish those people who are criminal. The Quran uses the word criminal, as I've mentioned several times before, usually in Makkah, because these are civilizational values and you have uprooted civilization, that's why you're a criminal, you're a mujrim, to show them and the people of Makkah also that you may not believe in sin, but you have to believe that this is a crime, injustice against you, against humanity, against your peoples. And that's how the Quran now, now works the psyche and uses words that really intimidate the listener and so on. So anyway, this is how uh, Allah says we destroy people who are criminal and their crime is against humanity at large, is against themselves for not believing in the truth and so on. So this is the mention of the people of Ad, where Hud was sent to them to reform them and to bring them closer to Allah, bring them towards Jannah so that they can enjoy life after death. This is how we see now the end of the Prophet's term in Mecca. These ayat and this story is very crucial. Uh, on one side is giving the Prophet hope and reassurance that if they do what they said, what they say they will do, they'll be taken care of. Number one. Number two, that you will be protected the way uh, Hud was protected. You don't need to worry too much about that. So that is how you combine the revelation of the ayah with the seerah. So. وَلَقَدْ مَكَّنَّاهُمْ فِي مَا إِمْ مَكَّنَّاكُمْ فِيهِ وَجَعَلْنَا لَهُمْ سَمْعَهُمْ وَأَبْصَارُ وَأَفْئِدَةُ فَمَا أَغْنَى عَنْهُمْ سَمْعَهُمْ وَلَا أَبْصَارُهُمْ وَلَا أَفْئِدَتُهُمْ مِنْ شَيْءٍ إِذْ كَانُوا يَجْحَدُونَ بِآيَاتِ اللَّهِ وَحَاقَ بِهِمْ مَا كَانُوا بِهِ يَسْتَحْزِئُونَ The Prophet has been asked to turn to the Quraysh and say, now you draw a bridge from that story to your story. And they are yours, basically. This happened here in your territory in the Jazeera, in the peninsula, in your desert, this happened and what's more you know about them. So these aren't just fables and bedtime stories. These are actual realities because you know about these stories in your folklore, in your oral tradition, in your songs, in your poetry, you know about these things. So why don't you take heed and find some solace in what it is I'm trying to say to you in believing in Allah and not worshipping false idols. And so here now the Qur'an turns to the Quraysh and addresses the Quraysh. Indeed, we had given, empowered them in things that we empower you in. We had given them uh, certain abilities and certain privileges and certain prerogatives, which are all good things, as I mentioned just now. These prerogatives, abilities, are good things. These are ni'am, in our blessings from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And, so, and on top of that, we had given them, made for them, listening and seeing and thinking. Hearts, yeah, means the ability to think and comprehend and, uh, you know, uh, understand and visualize, personify your emotions and your thoughts and your ideas. And that's if, if, either from Fuad, which is the inner part 
of the heart. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave them tools of knowing as he gave you tools of knowing. So I mean, the, 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 the epistemology that you have, how do you know? That Allah gave you these tools of knowing, seeing, hearing, thinking, comprehending, cognition, imagination, and all of that. And you're great poets, and you know how to use imagination, and you know how, you know how to coin phrases, and you know how the meters and the rhyme and the rhythm works. And you know all of these good things, and you have tremendous abilities of knowing and thinking and understanding. But their hearing and their seeing... And their hearts, their hearts, uh, they availed them nothing. They didn't help them. Meaning, even with knowledge, you can be doomed. I mean, education is one thing, and then appreciating Allah is another thing. Yeah. Education and schooling and learning should be for the sake of uh, executing shukr for Allah. That's the purpose of these tools. Shukr starts with not doing shirk and believing in Tawheed and believing in Risala, believing in the Akhirah. Those are the three basic formulae for observing shukr. That these are in Ahmad, blessings from Allah. And the rule is if Allah gives you blessings, you must show shukr and gratitude for those blessings. If you do, then Allah will increase you in those blessings and the effects of those blessings. And if you don't, then Allah will take it away, which is what happened here. So now, just because some people are educated and learned and they learn and they know, is not necessarily the, uh, the proof of success. No? The proof of success is what you do with that knowledge in order to help yourself, help others, to benefit you, benefit others, and then more than that, to worship Allah and to thank Him. Yeah, so you use your knowledge to thank Him. At the same time, you use knowledge to help yourselves and others. Uh, when they actually then just rejected. Yeah? They contested. And more than that, they were derisive. Uh, they mocked the signs of Allah. All the signs of Allah that Allah gave them the ability to hear and to listen and to think and to imagine and to create and to build and to engineer and do all this great stuff. But they just rejected all the signs of Allah in the sense that they didn't see these skills as a ni'mah from Allah. They saw them as they were innately belonging to them. They thought they acquired all this through their own efforts not through Allah's fadl and Allah's ni'mah. So that was the problem there. So eventually what happened? Yeah, be careful what you ask for. Number one, number two, that what goes around, comes around. Yeah. Right? So you were mocking people for being religious. Now it has come back to haunt you. You are now being, now taken care of for what it is you are mocking, and so on. So they're surrounded by the punishment, and so on. So that's the irony of the play, basically. Yeah? This is the irony. That, that this is a play on the stage of the people of Ad, and that, uh, this is the, the plot, and this is the story. And in the story, there's a tragedy, 
And in the tragedy, there's an irony. So now that Allah is using this as a means of expressing the balagha, okay, the eloquence and the language to the Quraysh and the Shuara. The poets of the Arabian Peninsula, they assumed they were the smartest people on the planet. They called themselves Arab and they called everybody else Ajam, those who can't speak. So Allah is saying, okay, take this. See if you can decipher this, all of this. Um, that look at this. We just told you a story, uh, a play. Uh, there's a plot, there are players. Okay, there's a beginning, there's an ending, and there's a moral. And then in that you have tragedy, and then you have also the irony. And you can't do this with your words. Well, we've summarized this in a few words. We've shown you the beauty of the Arabic language in Revelation, and we've shown you the message in Revelation, and we've shown you something else in Revelation which you can never perceive or conceive. So now when the Arab is reading this, the Quraysh and the Bedouin Arab who's a poet, when he's reading this, he's just mesmerized. He's just dumbfounded. And how do you bring all of this content in, in this in this form, in these words? When we read it, it doesn't make sense. <laughs> We're totally ajam. Yeah, we don't know how to talk, basically. Yeah. When they read this, they were overwhelmed. It's devastating that somebody who's able to coin all of these realities in these words, which are very simple, and organize them, compose them as if he's composing poetry, but is yet, yet it's not poetry. Uh, that's now a miracle. And that is what hurt them the most. Not just the message and the warning, but the ability to do this uh, artistically in a very sophisticated way that no other human being can bring this type of language into any form, whether it's prose or poetry, whether it's songs or lyrics, it doesn't matter. You don't have the intelligence to do all this. And look at all the concepts that Allah is bringing into this. And I just mentioned one, epistemology. Then you take each now form of knowing and you expand on it, what is hearing, and what is seeing and what is thinking through the heart and why are they separate and who does this? And what are the details of seeing and thinking and observing and all that? Um, who does all that? Only Allah can do that. Yeah. So for the student of the Quran, the eventual goal must be to appreciate the balagha, right? the rhetoric, the words, the piercing words, Along with the message. Alhamdulillah, you have the message. You're Muslim, you pray, you fast, you do everything. But you must develop the taste for understanding, appreciating the mesmerizing power in the words, which was then uh, the, what influenced and impressed the Arab of that time. That's how they eventually became Muslim because the language overpowered them. The language overwhelmed them. It was an academic uh, kind of, uh, what, what do you call it, participation in enjoying the words of the Quran. Okay. One is tafsir, and you can open that, but when you know the Arabic language, the way is supposed to be known. 
That's why most of you study a Darkhasim to know the Arabic language. So everything else, all of this, uh, whatever you, you hear somewhere else, that's one side. What you hear through the Alim who's Fasih and Balir and a master of the Arabic language is something very different. Like on Rosh Kashmiri, that he says, I studied the Quran almost word for word 23 times from cover to cover. And the way he said it wasn't the way we said it. <laughs> this is just like a khatira. You know? yeah, the way he studied was a supreme mastery of the language, supreme Arabic. And so, and so if I were you as students of uh, other institutions concentrate on knowing the Arabic, this Arabic, the Arabic that overwhelmed the Quraysh and the poets of the time of the Prophet and why they became Muslim. They became Muslim, not just because of the message, because Allah proved to them that they are the ones who don't know how to speak. That's the mojiza. Okay? Yeah. That's just nasiha for the students who are studying at Dal More to come later, uh, inshallah. Subhanallah, <laughs> Alhamdulillah.